So I told you earlier that I would explain a little bit about why I look different today. And um, you, you know, might be able to guess that this has nothing to do with my heritage. So I was joking with Jim Joyce. I said, didn't you know that I am one one thousandth Korean? <laughs> no, I'm not. I actually I have I have no idea um, if if our if my if my paths of my ancestors crossed anywhere um, uh, in that region of the world uh, ever. But I was at the Collegedale Korean Church for a year from '09 to 2010, and I was the pastor of English speakers and youth. So we spent uh, and summer was there. This is before we were married. We we were there for a year and pastor there in the culture, and they decided to make us this uh, the hanbok uh, clothes as, as a parting gift. So a couple of the older girls did this for us, and this was very special. It's a, it's a token, a symbol of our time there. And, you know, it, we had some very interesting times. I, I felt like Every time, whether there's a Sabbath, a Wednesday Bible study, or a Vespers, that I would step into Korea, and then at the end I would step back into the United States. And so I had such a, a an interesting constant switch um, because I had to learn some things. I had to learn some things about being in that church because even though I'm American, since I was stepping into this Korean church with the Korean culture, I had to learn something very important. And that is you bow to your elders. Now we say, oh my goodness, that's, that's silly. Well, I don't care whether you think it's silly. That's what they do. And if you don't do it, that's disrespectful. And so I, I enjoyed learning new things like that and walking in and seeing the uh, older uh, Korean um, uh, men and women. And I would walk in and, you know, bow my head to them. Oh, it was just such a wonderful thing to see them smile at this very white American guy adhering to, to their custom. I'm sure it really touched their heart. And, and you know, learning to use the chopsticks, there, you know, I loved it. And, and it just so happened, there's a, there was a little, there's a little joke between Summer and I, because we do it differently. And we would argue a little bit about, no, come on, you're doing it funny. And, and, but there was one time where we went and we were sitting with, with the adults and they were speaking Korean back and forth to each other and looking at us. And, and one guy who could speak English said, oh, he's speaking about how you're using the chopsticks. And I said, well, what did he say? And then the guy said, you know, you say it. And, and he couldn't speak very much English, but he pointed at me and he said, you are Korean. And he pointed at Summer and he said, you are American. <laughs> and I went, Yes. And she kind of, ah, you know, but, but it, you know, it works for her, so it's okay. Uh, but, but we had a wonderful time uh, being immersed in that culture, and we miss, we miss the food because the food tastes so good, and it's almost always really good for you. I don't know how you, I don't know how you guys do it. How do you do that? But it just tastes so good, and it's, and it's so good for you. It's healthy, and you feel good after eating it, you know. Anyway, it's, I just had so much fun, the, the great food, the fun activities, um, and I mentioned bowing to the elders, learning their, their uh, method of respect, um, and uh, seeing the unusually high standard of excellence in everything that they do. I was very impressed, 
it was an amazing experience. And we were able to, um, to receive these clothes as a gift. Um, but our time, you know, it wasn't always a simple experience because there, was, there were times when those Korean elders would need to communicate something to me, and I didn't speak a lick of Korean, and they didn't speak very much English. And there was one time where this very wonderful lady came up to speak to a Korean youth and myself, and he did not speak Korean either. And so, so she came up and started talking to him, and he stood there looking at her with wide eyes, and he said, Ah, uh, I don't speak Korean. And, and then she, she went back like this, very surprised. And then she looked at me and she went, and she walked away, <laughs> not finding someone who was any better of a chance. <laughs> but, but it was, it was just so funny. Uh, so many wonderful uh, and interesting times that, that we had there. Um, but I learned, I learned so much about, um, being outside of my normal worldview and my normal experience. And I learned, uh, what it's like to see God and ministry and community through someone else's eyes. And I learned that there's more to the world than what we normally think. And there's more, there's more to understand as far as the Lord is concerned because we are so lodged and how we normally see things that we can't fathom that it could be seen legitimately another way. But friends, let me tell you, it sure can. And the Lord's principles are lived out in so many different cultures and so many different backgrounds in legitimate ways that it will just blow your mind. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always like this. There, there weren't always different languages. There weren't different cultures there was one at the beginning, and today we're going to see what happened. We're going to see how we, we had all these different countries, all these different languages. We're going to see the beginning of this, and our, our wonderful Nordgren family read the scripture reading for us. Please turn there again. Genesis 11, we're going to see why sometimes I couldn't communicate with my brothers and sisters in the church why did this happen? Well, they, they read the beginning, Genesis 11, 1 through 4. It tells us something very interesting. It says that in the beginning there was one language. The whole earth had one speech. And at one time they, they journeyed this big group of people. Not, the, not everyone, but the vast majority of the people, they went and they, and they dwelt in this plain of Shinar, it says, and, and they said, hmm, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly, and, and come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Now, you may realize that we're in Genesis 11. We're a little bit out of order in our Genesis series that we've been doing, but we'll go back to the right order next time. But I thought this would be such a neat thing for us to look at today on International Sabbath. See, this is the story after the worldwide flood that we'll look at later. And at this point, some time had passed since the end of the flood, and humanity had grown fairly numerous again. They had one language, 
and they moved to the uh, old ancient where well to them it wasn't old it would for them it would be the future city and kingdom of babylon and for us it's the modern day country of iraq so they moved to this area and i'm sure it was much more lush than maybe it is now uh, but they had uh, a plan. You see, God had told Noah after the flood that humanity was supposed to disperse over the entire earth and repopulate it. But they said, you know what? We don't really feel like doing that. We don't want to disperse. We want to stick together. Oh, doesn't that sound sweet? We want to stick together. We, we don't want to be dispersed. Now, what could be bad about that? You know. But, but if, you, if you look at these verses... You find underneath that there was there was there was a current running through that was not what God wanted. They say something very interesting. They say, "Let us." Oh, pastor, what's so important about "let us"? You know, they're just talking. Well, let us. Do you know the last time in the Bible? See the Bible. We're just getting into it, but the last time someone said that was in Genesis 1:26 and that person was God. God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. God was the one who said it when he was making mankind. Moses is trying to show us that their unity wasn't a good thing actually. He's showing us that they were uniting against God and taking some of his prerogatives. Let us, let us, let us. They're using it over and over and over again. Three times, let us do this. Let us do this, contrary to what God has asked. Let us. They were trying to be like God in a way, or either either that or trying to supplant him and forget him. We don't need this fable about God. Oh, but... That's not that big of a deal. I mean, they, you know, they're just going to build a tower, you know, and all that. It's no big of a deal. But the verses also say that this tower was supposed to reach up to the heavens, and they wanted to make a name for themselves to ensure that they wouldn't be scattered across the earth. Now, why, friends, would you want to build a tower that went way up into the heavens? What is the point of that, back then at least? Oh, really? That you okay, hit it on the head. You know, think about this. What what would you do if you didn't if you didn't trust God or trust the fact that earlier in Genesis he had said I will never again flood the earth. What what would you do if you maybe had forgotten about God, you didn't want to believe in him, and you thought that the flood was some kind of natural occurrence, what would you do? Either way, you would try to plan to protect yourselves. You would try to plan. You would stick together because, you know, there's safety in numbers, right? You would stick together to protect yourself from this powerful, whether it was you thought it was God being an enemy or you just thought it was a big powerful flood that you couldn't protect yourself from, you would stick together. You would make some kind of plan so that you would not die in the next flood. And so here they say, you know what? By our judgments, the flood only went about this high. If we build a tower that goes higher than that, when the floodwaters come, we can all run into the tower and 
no elevators, folks. You know, no elevators. They run up up the tower, and we can get to the very tippy top and hang out there, and we can laugh and shake our fingers at the clouds or God, whatever we're thinking is causing this, and then we'll be safe. Maybe they forgot that there was a God in the heavens who can make the floodwaters go higher if he wanted to. But the biggest thing that they forgot is that God had made a promise not to do it. And so here we have this confederation of people. We have this big group getting together, and they're either not trusting God, they don't believe he's going to exist, they're going to build this big tower, they're going to make a name for themselves. You can see that they wanted to be in charge. They wanted to be the top of the food chain in the world. They wanted to build this city and this great tower so that as the earth became populated, they would want to have a universal government with them at the top. But this wasn't good because if God let this go on very quickly, you would see the same wretchedness that was before the flood. And the world is just in its infancy. This great unity was dangerous because they were uniting against God. So what's he going to do? What will God do about this? He said yeah, he's not going to flood the earth again. How is he going to stop it? I mean, they have one, you know, they're one. Is he going to come down and, and send the angels and tell them to get away? Is he going to force them to go scatter that way? Is he going to grab them and throw them into cages and take them off to different parts of the earth? What is he going to do? Let's, uh, let's read it. Let's look at it. Five, verses 5 through 9. But the Lord came down. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. You know, it's funny. I, lo- I love it when it says God came down to check something out. He already knew it was there. But, but you know when God has to come down to make a point, he's like, all right, let me see what you think you're doing. He comes down. He's like, let me, let me just check this out for my own eyes, okay? And the Lord said, hmm, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. When they have this blessing of unity, this is what they begin to do. And nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, God says taking back his position. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. What? So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. God said, let us take care of this problem. He goes down and he says, I'm going to confuse their language. Up to that point, no one even understood that it was possible to have different forms of communication. That had not entered into anyone's mind because it didn't need to. Everyone had one language, one speech. It was just taken for granted that you could speak to anybody. And so God comes down and he says, for the good of the earth, I'm going to confuse the language. And so uh, you can imagine what happened. I mean, the tower had probably gotten pretty tall by this point, and so people had to send messages along. And have you, have you ever played that game telephone where you stand in the line and you say something and somebody starts out saying, you know, 
like, I don't know, like uh, cheesecake or something, and, and you know, and, and then he goes down all the way through, and at the end, what, what, so what did you hear, beef steak, you know, I, and what is that? I mean, it, it, the message gets messed up along through, and then we're all speaking the same language, so if you can imagine, people are saying, you know, somebody down at the bottom, or at the top, they're working, and he says, hey, I need some more bricks, and then the next one down was like, what? It sounded like he was speaking gibberish. Well, he probably needs some more mortar. Mortar, you know, and the next guy, what? He needs more tools? Tools, tools, okay, you know. And they're all the way through, and then some things are being brought up. I didn't ask for this. They go down, you dummy, you know, why did you send this up to me? And the other guy's just looking at him as if he's like, you know, as he's speaking gibberish, you know. And and so they're looking at each other, seeing this different, you know, communication. And so naturally, both of them are thinking, this man has gone absolutely insane. He's out of his mind. Hey, listen to what he's, what are you saying? You know, it's different than what he was saying. Everybody's saying different things. Yeah, imagine how scary that would be. That would be very strange. The first time this happened, wow, God comes down and confuses the languages. I mean, could you, if you were thrown in with a bunch of other people who didn't speak the same language as you, could you accomplish much of anything? It would be very difficult, especially if this was the first time. For us, maybe we can use hand signals, jump up and down, I don't know, and maybe we can get a point across. But for them, this was such an amazing phenomenon that they didn't know how to handle it. And so they probably got angry at each other. Maybe they fought a little bit, got bruised up, cut up, because they were so upset and how these people were insane. And they've, so, so finally, I imagine everyone's like, does anybody speak right still? You know, everyone's saying that, you know, around. Everybody's saying it, but, you know, they're all saying it in different languages. Does anybody, is anybody speaking the, 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 the real language? You know, hey, I am, oh, good, let's, let's be friends. And everybody gets together, and finally you have your little groups, and everyone says, let's get out of here. These people are insane. Let's just go somewhere else. And then everybody says that, and everybody moves away from the tower and the city, and their unity was broken because it was unity against God. And since then, we have had different languages and different cultures that have developed all over the face of the earth. And it's especially made spreading the gospel difficult, not only because of the different language barrier, but because with different languages, you have different ways of thinking. As I've tried to learn a little bit of other languages, you know, your natural thing to do is to say, well, I want to say this in, you know, in English, so I need to translate it. And so you just you just substitute the words in the exact order that it is in English, but that doesn't work most of the time. It's different order. Sometimes you say you have, you have to express things in different ways, and it just doesn't. And you, you can hear that when somebody learns English, sometimes for the first time, they say words in different order sometimes. And, and you say, boy, that's not the right order. Well, it's because it's a different thought process, too. Sometimes, though... Um, the way the other culture and language may express something might be offensive to another person. You know, 
I was going to do a sermon at the Korean church. It was a joint service, and and I had my sermon all written out because uh, uh, the one who was going to be translating for me, her name was Jihye, and she wanted to have it all so she could translate it into Korean. And she came back and she said, there are some things you can't say. And I said, wow, what? You know, what did I say in there? I don't know. And she said, you, you say a lot of times in this sermon, let God do this. Let God do that, you know, in your life. Let God, let God. And she said, it sounds weird. And I don't know if this is just a personal thing. We can have our, our, our brother and sister let us know if, the, if, this is, if this is more than just a personal thing or not. But she said, it sounds strange when I say it in Korean to allow God to do something because we don't have the right to allow God to do something because God is God. You know, and I said, wow. So we had to we had to really rack our brains here. You know, we were really thinking and I was saying, maybe we can say accept what God is doing. You need to accept what God is doing. And she said, I think that'll work. So we changed it to accept what God is doing. And she said, that sounds a little bit better. It's still not perfect, but I think that's a little bit better. It's really interesting. The, the, the different ways people in, in different cultures express things can be wrong or offensive, strange to others. But, but see, but different languages, cultures, and, and different ways of thinking, they're actually not only barriers. They may be at first. But when you push past the barriers and understand someone else's way of thinking, your own understanding of God is expanded and enriched. You see, I, I read something fascinating in the book Peace Child. I don't know if you've read that, but it's about a, a missionary who goes to the, uh, the island of New Guinea and, and to the Sawi tribe, and he has to learn their language. Now, this was an insanely difficult language. They had 19 different tenses, verb tenses, 19. And also, they, uh, they, didn't, they didn't just have one way of, of expressing information. You had to have something attached onto the end of the word to let, to let someone know if you were saying this firsthand or if you were giving it secondhand information. So you couldn't plagiarize and, you know, you had to like say, this is what I am saying, or this is what someone else said that I'm relaying to you. It was like a part of the word that you had to put on there. So many different things that were just very different and strange and difficult. But he learned the language after studying eight to ten hours a day for weeks and weeks and months. And he learned it. And he tried to reach them for the gospel. Now, the first thing he tried to do is he, he felt good about himself and he got all his presentation together, and he was talking about Jesus and, and you know, going through the, the, the passion, you know, and everything, and, and saying, oh, in this time when Judas, Judas, he went to the chief priests with some money, and, and he was going to betray Jesus, and he came up, and, and when, he, when they were talking about the betrayal, they got very interested, and they were listening, you know, just on the edge of their seat, and they said, and he went up leading the soldiers, and he kissed him on the cheek, and that was the sign of betrayal. And then they were like, wow, man, that was good. And they, they were talking like, can you believe it? How, that was a perfect plan. And, they, and they, Because, you know, in their culture, deception and betrayal was held in incredibly high esteem. The people who were the most deceptive 
were the coolest people. Like between tribes, if you could be friends with somebody, you would bring them over and they would eat. And, and for months, they would say you would fatten them for the slaughter. Fatten them as a pig. And so you, I mean, they thought you were friends with them. And then at the right moment, you would reveal, we're going to kill you and eat you. And then, no, please, but I, I thought we were friends. You're a fool, you know. You actually believed it. And they would kill the person and eat them. And, and, and so when they heard Judas, they said, wow, man, this guy is like better than any of us. Wow, what a cool guy. And they thought that Judas was the hero of the story. And this guy, Don, was like, oh, I'm such a failure at being a missionary. I just need to go home. I just don't know how to, how can I possibly reach these people? But then when he was planning on leaving, they said, no, please don't leave. We're going to make peace with these other tribes. We're going to do something. And they had something where they would, between tribes, they would give children a child from this tribe to these parents, and these parents would give their child to this tribe. That's no longer your child. You've given them to be their son. You would switch kids, and as long as that child was alive, you had to have peace between the, between the tribes. And so what would happen is when somebody would get mad and think that the other tribe did something, they would be, like, they would be getting their spears and their arrows, and they, would, they were going to go and attack, and then someone would run frantically and get the peace child and run and, and hold it up, hold up the peace child and say, you cannot, for we have made peace, and this child is the symbol of our peace. You cannot. They are our brothers and sisters now. And, and this guy, Don, was watching this, and, he, and, and this realization just struck him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Peace Child. And so he brought all the elders together and he said, I need to tell you a different side of this story. And he told them about how we, the humanity was at war with God and God decided he wanted to make peace. And so he brought his son to make peace with them, even though he knew that they would murder his son. Because it was the highest sin in that culture, to murder a peace child, you could not do it. If you murdered a peace child, you were an outcast and a hated person from everyone. And they were shocked. He knew? And he said, if you knew that so-and-so would have murdered your child, would you have given him as a peace child? And he said, no, I would have never done that. And he said, think about this. God knew that he would give, that they, even though he gave the peace child, they would murder him. And they were just struck with such awe. And, they, and he said, think about Judas now. And they remembered, oh, you mean he betrayed the peace child? And they, he, they, he said, yes, he betrayed the peace child to be murdered. And now Judas all of a sudden went from the best person in the whole world to the nastiest, hated person that there ever could have been in that culture. He betrayed the peace child. But then he said, but this peace child is not dead. He was murdered, but he's alive again. And he is still our peace child. And he told them the whole story. And they realized through their peace child story, it dawned on them, God has made peace with us. 
and this peace child will live forevermore. Therefore, we will never be at war with God again. We are always at peace through the peace child. And Don, his understanding of God and how God has made peace with humanity was enriched. I, my own mind, was totally blown. Wow. A whole new side of the gospel through this peace child. I encourage you, read that book. It is fascinating. It is amazing that something that began as a curse, the division of languages and culture, could actually turn out to be a blessing. And as we come to God, He works to unify our diversity. So no, no, so not only do we experience new insights from other cultures and languages about God and what He's done for us, but but we God works to unite the diversity in a grand new way when we come to be united under Him. Think about Acts, the gift of tongues. That was a Tower of Babel reversal to bring everybody together. Think about in the final group, the, the great multitude in Revelation made of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. God is working to bring everyone from every culture together in a grand unity that will enrich all of us and will make his family incredibly special. You see, friends, what I'm learning as I'm thinking about the, the blessings, the, un, the unknown blessings from the Tower of Babel experience I'm realizing that unity in diversity is spiritually enriching. Unity in diversity is spiritually enriching. See, we're, we are so predisposed to think that our own culture is the best. Oh, yes, my culture is the best. It's the superior one. Or that our culture, since I become a Christian, I'm no longer a product of my culture. I am in heaven's culture. Oh, stop it. You become a better person and you are following God, but you're still a product of your original culture. It still affects you. Be careful. Because we may live out the principles of heaven in various ways in our earthly cultures, but none of us is purely heavenly. We all have elements of our different cultures that cause us to think and live and act in different ways. It causes us to see God in different ways and relate to Him in different ways. You can't escape or deny that fact that your culture and experience colors how you see God's principles. So I think we all, as we see the reality and the blessings that can come of looking at and embracing other people's cultures, we need to be humble and realize our culture, our way of life, our way of living, God's principles aren't the universal standard. God's principles are universal. How we live them out may be different in our different cultures. Allow your experience to be broadened and enhanced by others. You see, so often we settle for separate but equal in our religious experience. Well, they just see things differently, and I see, you know, we all see things differently. Let's just all go in our corners and have a grand old time with everybody who thinks like us. But that's wrong, guys. We're not going to be in separate corners in heaven. We're not. We're going to be one group, one family. Separate but equal, it doesn't cut it in God's family. We have to be together and broadened and enhanced by the people that we are unified with. Be humble, friends. 
and try with all your might to see from other perspectives because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you say, man, this is so different. But try, you will be rewarded. Embrace unity and diversity rather than trying to make everyone uniform to you because that's easy. This is the best way to do it. Do it my way. No, your way is not necessarily the best way. Maybe it's equal, just different, you know, and we need to somehow bring it together, bring it together in one grand unity. Then we will find that the image of God is much more clearly reflected by a diverse group of people in the eyes of Jesus. In our culture, we only reflect God in certain ways, his image, his understanding. We only have one dimension, but so many other people have other dimensions that are so glorious and so amazing that you just can't even fathom it right now until you go and you learn from them how they see God. Unity in diversity is spiritually enriching. I know from reading the Peace Child book and learning about how how those people spiritually enriched Don, the missionary. I know that by my experience in the Korean church, I have been spiritually enriched more than I would have been if I would have only been with people who looked like me, thought like me, acted like me for my whole life. But because of interacting with different people, I know I've been spiritually enriched. And so I encourage us all, as you look at life, ask God, Help me to see through another's eyes. Help me to walk in someone else's shoes. No matter how they look, maybe they look the same, but they've had a different experience. And you will be enriched. Enrich yourselves through unity and diversity. Amen? Amen. Amen.